Welcome to Business Lens, broadcast on WKXL and available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Robeson, joined as always by Chris Hill, host of Motley Fool Money, the number one stock investing radio show in America. Your tagline has many syllables in it, Chris Hill, but everything else you produce is tight, efficient, and fascinating. Welcome back. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. We have so much to talk about today. I'm not going to dither. I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, It's going down. Down, 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 down. We're talking about inflation, something like 7.3%, which sounds terrible, except uh, for where we've been recently. Uh, What are you making of that action? So you're right. It does seem a little odd to be celebrating the fact that year over year, inflation is up 7%. And yet, that's what's happening on Wall Street today. There is absolutely um, some excitement because it's all about expectations, right? So we get the Consumer Price Index report for November, inflation up 0.1% compared to the previous month. And economists had been expecting it to be a little bit higher than that. And same for the year-over-year number. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna celebrate. But it it it. There are two things I would add here, Matt. One is the trend line is starting to look pretty good. The the trend of inflation coming down, of the increases being much smaller, month over month, year over year. Um, it, we get a few more months like this, and there's no reason to think otherwise. Uh, all of a sudden, it really starts to look like inflation is tamed. The price of a gallon of gas, the national average right now, is lower than it was a year ago, and so you know that's that's obviously a great trend line. We're still seeing higher prices when we go to the grocery store uh, and other places as well. But in general, the trend is going well. The other thing I'll add is that and this is a conversation I had with one of our analysts who said, you know. Um, there, are, there is some hyperbole in the financial media. I know. Shocker, Wait, right? Hold on. Yeah. Financial media, just like all media, they're, they're, you're going to find some people who engage in hyperbole. And he, uh, he was pointing out someone used the phrase runaway inflation, that you know, this latest report is, shows a cooling off from the runaway inflation. And he said, we don't have run infl- runaway inflation here in the United States. In places like Germany and Venezuela and Argentina, they have runaway inflation. They have infl- They would love to have the type of inflation that we're dealing with. So yes, it is painful. Yes, we are paying more in general for things than we were a year ago. But uh, when you step back and look at how some other countries are faring, we're, we're doing pretty well here in the U.S., well, it reminds me of the story of the Zen master repeated in the movie, Charlie Wilson's war, where the answer to every happening is, well, we'll see. Is this we'll great? See. Yeah, we'll see. I, it, it, there, sort of the inverse of this is the story that Democrats, for example, just to be partisan about this for a second, were screaming all summer, which is, I know we don't like inflation being this high, but first of all, you're right. This isn't hyperinflation. Hyperinflation is where you literally bring your currency in a wheelbarrow to the store because that's (laughs) the only way to transport the paper. I'm not making that up. You think that's hyperbole. It is not hyperbole. That is an actual historical example. And so over the summer, there were people saying, first of all, inflation isn't hyper. It's it's high, but historically it's high. It's not hyper. And second of all, the whole economic picture is so nuanced. That's why you and I talked about the question of, are we in a recession? And the National Bureau of Economic Research was saying, eh, probably not, probably not. Because, you know, GDP, there are many factors involved. We've had a red hot job market. 
And, you know, we've had pretty strong growth in, in many sectors and manufacturing. We've talked about all the indicators on the show. And now, of course, the exact same Zen reasoning can be applied to this current situation, which is, all right, inflation's bending down, celebrate, let's have a party, except maybe storm clouds of a recession on the horizon, maybe. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. All right, let's, we'll leave it there. We'll see, because you know what? That's the wisest thing we can say is that we don't know. We don't know if this is good or bad, but for today, the markets are celebrating. So yay, that's 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 good. Hey, speaking of, uh, we'll see, and maybe markets not celebrating, you know who is not being celebrated on Wall Street right now? Elon Musk and uh, Tesla and uh, anything that's linked to the uh, steaming pile of bonfire badness that's become Twitter. Um, so that's not great for Tesla shareholders, right? It really isn't. And it's look, it's been a rough year for so many stocks. And uh, we've seen solid growing businesses with their stocks pulling back, you know, enormous amounts um, just because the valuations got a little out of control. That being said, I did run the numbers and going back to April 14th uh, of this year, which is when Elon Musk announced he was going to buy Twitter, shares of Tesla are down 50% since then. And uh, I, you know, I, one of my colleagues was sort of taking issue with my drawing a straight line between those two things saying, well, look, you know, there, there are a lot of reasons shares of Tesla are down. And I said, yes, that's true. But not having a full-time CEO, because Elon Musk is so focused on Twitter, um, I, I think that's a problem. I'm not a Tesla shareholder, but if I were, I would want, let's just remove it from Tesla. Any company I own shares of, I want the CEO focused on the company. And so the fact that Elon Musk is running multiple companies, not just Tesla and Twitter, um, you know, he's really spread thin. And I think that you know some of what he has done has caused some damage to the brand. You go back four or five years, Tesla was one of the coolest brands in the United States. It really said something positive about you if you drove a Tesla. It said something about your net worth. And there was absolutely- <laughs> Yes, <factor>. definitely that. <laughs> it said something the about your net worth. Is, I can afford a Tesla. <laughs> yes. And I, you know- and I'm not really much of a car guy, but even someone like me could appreciate the aesthetic design and look of Tesla vehicles. And I think uh, some damage has been done to that brand. And I think that uh, there are some people now who see Tesla's brand and Elon Musk's personal brand as completely intertwined. And there's you know a, a small number of people who maybe would have bought a Tesla and now are not going to because of that. Well, you know, these things matter. The psychology of the marketplace matters. Reputational and brand value matters. And that's why big companies are cutting ties with Kanye West because they don't want to be associated with that. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't, in a way, it doesn't surprise me at all because again, I come out of more of a, you know, a politics vein myself, but I hear buzz. And by the way, on both the left and the right, because Twitter is such a lightning rod and there's no way to win being associated with that brand. And so, you know, I, I hear grumbling about, hey, maybe a Chevy Volt sounds pretty good right now. Not to mention the fact that 
there's pullbacks of advertising on Twitter from potential competitors in the auto space, like GM, which suspended all of its advertising on Twitter. And, you know, you start to connect some of those dots. I'm with you, man. I I, I don't think that this is that far-fetched, that that connection point, it's reputational risk. It's uh, it's kind of pollution of um, the, the various other competitor brands of like the, the, the Twitter brand into the auto space. And I think the whole image of, I will tell you right now that there's a certain segment of our country um, that I belong to that no longer has that aspirational, oh, this is cool vibe to owning a Tesla that they had a year ago. And that there's a value on that. I don't know how much it is, but some of that I think is getting reflected in this stock fall. I think it is. And, uh, you know, Twitter is no longer a public company, so we don't really know the finances, but there's plenty of anecdotal evidence being reported regarding not just automakers, but other advertisers who have suspended uh, or at least hit the pause button on their advertising spend on Twitter. And I think, uh, you know, at some point in 2023, if that continues, then uh, the people who loaned Elon Musk money and helped finance his Twitter deal, um, you know, they're going to work with him to, <laughs> to try and make sure they can get their money back. But, um, uh, you know, it, there's only so much downward pressure they can take before it, it really starts to become a problem. Well, speaking of uh, high-flying executives circling the drain, or in this case, kind of circled and at the bottom, let's talk for a moment about Sam Bankman-Fried. Mr. Bankman-Fried was supposed to be appearing before Congress to testify about the collapse of the FTX exchange this morning as we record this, December 13th, 2022. He could not show up because he had been arrested in the. I was going to say he had a really good reason for not yes, showing right. up. It's like it's like that. Uh, it's like Apollo thirteen, where uh, one of the astronauts has a good excuse for not turning in his taxes because he has been delayed. Uh, yes, Mr. Bankman Fried has been delayed. He can't make his date in front of Maxine Waters' committee this morning because he's wearing steel bracelets. Um, so I, there's so much we could say about this. Let's let's go 30,000 feet. I mean, this is one guy. This is one application, I guess I would say, within the broader crypto spectrum. But it does feel to me a little bit like hearing a clock chime for a 13th time. It's not only messed up in itself, it, it kind of calls the whole underlying mechanism into question. And I want to ask you about the whole underlying mechanism. You are so super tied in to the investment community, to, to the Wall Street community. What are people saying about the prospects for crypto writ large as we kind of hit this odd inflection point where not only FTX is going down, but it seems like the market valuation on all of crypto is going down. Is there like, is there still a bullish case to be made for this sector? There is, but it's become a lot harder for those people to make because of Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, just from a 30,000-foot view standpoint, I'm not a lawyer, but holy cow, this seems like an easy case to prosecute with the public statements he has made lately, um, with the indictment that was unsealed. I mean, th- we're, we're talking about someone who's been charged with, among other things, conspiracy to commit wire fraud, securities fraud, money laundering, and conspiracy to defraud the United States of America. 
So that's really bad for Sam Bankman-Fried. What I think is bad for crypto bulls in general is that Sam Bankman-Fried is now the poster child for this cryptocurrency. Uh, Over the years, I've gotten the chance to both interview executives from different companies and industries, but also just talk to them sort of off the record. And the question I've asked multiple automotive executives is this. When an automotive company makes headlines because there's been a recall that has involved either video footage or, God forbid, a death count, even if it's not your automotive company, that hurts the whole industry, right? And to a person, they have all said, absolutely. That type of headline risk really damages trust in vehicles, And it's to varying degrees, but it absolutely goes in the negative column for all automakers, regardless of which one is issuing the recall. Sam Bankman-Fried is that times 100 for the crypto industry uh, because people pay a lot more attention to cars and have a lot more interaction with cars than they do with crypto. So Sam Bankman-Fried has now just become the cliff notes for absolutely everyone who is thinking about investing or talking about investing. And now anytime someone comes with the bull case for crypto, part of the bear case instantly becomes, yeah, but what about Sam Bankman-Fried? How, how, how are you going to ensure that if I invest my money in your platform, in the Robeson TX, Oh, gosh, please don't put me in that same category. <laughs> why, why am I going to invest in the Matt Robeson cryptocurrency and feel confident that I'm not going to have all my money disappear because Sam Bankman-Fried was telling uh, investors the exact same thing? Uh, look, if people want to invest in Matcoin, feel free. You can send checks to me. You can drop off cash at my house. I make absolutely no representations that you will make any money off of this. You can just give the money to me. That, by the way, is basically the proposition that Sam Bankman-Fried was offering. You know, just to go one step further on, on this, and you know, I want I want your reaction to this. I think everything you just said strikes me as right that there's this kind of this is sort of the on the on the face of it kind of reputational risk. Like, what is this stuff about? Kind of casual retail investor impact of this whole FTX saga. But I think just as injurious is this thing that that I read. It's a blog by Tim Bray, former executive at Amazon, um, talking about an experience he had six years ago with Andy Jassy, now CEO of the company, where he was asked to go take a closer look at blockchain. And basically, he came back, and this blog post is phenomenal. Actually, I'd love to track Tim Bray. If Tim, if you're out there and listening, you are invited on to Beyond Politics. Because what's so amazing about this post is he says, first of all, came back and he told the corporate bosses that we think everything having to do with blockchain is mostly, and I'm quoting here, but I'm uh, euphemizing BS and probably not strategic for Amazon Web Services. But he also finds that actual working business applications of blockchain were really, really hard to find and that there were plenty of blockchain products on offer characterized as polished, robust, production ready and regulator approved. But quoting again, if you looked hard at their customer stories, it got pretty vaporous pretty fast. And so 
I think that there's another more subterranean story going on here where the heavy hitters in in international business and especially in the, the American finance sector are beginning to see that this is a scam, that this is, you can make money in this, which is something else that Tim Bray says, you and and Amazon Web Services was making some money off of blockchain, but fundamentally in the long term, you know, it's like a fundamentals based investor would say the fundamentals are not there. There's no there there. There's no inherent value stream there. To me, that's the bigger long term strategic problem for the blockchain and crypto sector. No, I agree. And I've, I've said on your show and others as well that uh, part of why I don't invest in cryptocurrency is I don't invest in currencies. And there are people who say, well, it's not even a currency. And you know, to me, that's just one more reason. So, all right. I, I could talk how awful crypto is and dunk on it forever, but I guess we should move on. Um, the, the FTC sued Microsoft to block the acquisition of Activision, Activision Blizzard. Um, what's your takeaway from that? It was interesting to me that when the Federal Trade Commission announced this action last week, shares of both Microsoft and Activision Blizzard basically stayed right where they were. They didn't drop suddenly. This was very much expected. It was certainly expected by Microsoft's, what I imagine is an enormous uh, legal team, and uh, they are publicly very confident about the case they have going forward. Um, Microsoft has made some concessions um, saying, among other things, that they will make uh, Call of Duty, which is made by Activision Blizzard, they will make that available to uh, Sony PlayStation. You know, the concern here on the part of the government is that, uh, you know, basically you'll have uh, a certain number of huge popular games made by Activision Blizzard, and they will only be available on the Xbox system. And therein lies the monopoly. Um, yeah, Microsoft, um, you know, again, before the FTC made this announcement, they had already offered to make a number of concessions. Um, I think they're still, still willing to do that. Um, you know, I was about to say this is an X factor, but it's not really an X factor. It's just sort of an, an interesting additional wrinkle to this story is the role of Warren Buffett, mm. because uh, when Microsoft announced they were going to buy Activision Blizzard, the price that they offered to pay amounted to $95 a share. Uh, so if you're an Activision Blizzard shareholder, you get $95 for every share that you get. Activision Blizzard's stock pretty soon after this was announced dropped uh, somewhere in the high 70s. And earlier this year, Warren Buffett announced that, uh, I think it was through a public filing, that uh, Berkshire Hathaway had taken a pretty decent sized stake in Activision Blizzard shares. And from Buffett's standpoint, he was asked about this. He said, uh, it's simple arbitrage. You know, we get to buy a stock in the high 70s the buyout price, you know, the deal is expected to close in 2023 and will be paid somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25% upside for our investment simply by holding this stock for a year. Now, the risk, obviously, is if the deal completely blows up. Um, I, as I said earlier in the show, I'm not a lawyer. Um, I am, however, a Microsoft shareholder, and uh, my son 
has a few shares of Activision Blizzard, and he's a miner. So technically, I own those shares through the custodial account. So uh, I am confident, and part of my confidence comes from being on the same side as Warren Buffett. Uh, always a good side uh, to be on. Um, all right. Speaking of titans of industry and investing, it's time. It's everyone's favorite time of year. This is where programs like ours start to hand out year-end awards because it's fun. It's easy to do. And um, I I don't want to get out ahead of Motley Fool Money because you've got literally hundreds of thousands of listeners every single day who are probably waiting for this. But are you ready to make a big announcement here on your CEO of the year? Are we getting out ahead of your show? You are, but you know what? That's how much I like you, Matt. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get out uh, ahead on this one. So this, uh, this coming weekend, we are going to be doing our best and worst of 2023, and we will be handing out some awards on that show. And one of the awards we're going to be handing out is CEO of the year. And uh, the person who gets my vote, look, this is there are some years where the, where this is a tough award to hand out because the market has done great. And there are so many companies that are just crushing it. And there are so many candidates for CEO of the year. This year, I think it's difficult because it's kind of the opposite. Like there are, there are so many companies that have struggled. So many really good companies with great management teams have struggled just because of all of the market conditions and uh, everything we've talked about related to uh, macroeconomic stuff like inflation, supply chain, rolling uh, lockdowns in China, et cetera. Um, but uh, I'm casting my vote for Lauren Hobart. She is the CEO of Dick's Sporting Goods. Ooh. And that is, a, that is a stock that is flat for the year, which means it is pretty significantly outperforming the overall S&P 500. And so uh, that, that makes, you know, if, you, if you're a Dick's Sporting Goods shareholder, uh, and to my detriment, I am not, um, she and her team have just done such a phenomenal job. Um, this is a business that has been run by the Stack family since it was started in the 1940s. And Lauren Hobart is the first non-family member to be CEO. And she came into the corner office in very early 2021. Uh, it's such a rough time for anyone to be starting a, a CEO job, regardless of industry. And I think she's done an amazing job leading this business through the pandemic, dealing with so many challenges. Um, and uh, yeah, Lauren Hobart from Dick's Sporting Goods gets my vote for CEO. Wow. Did not say, now look, I know about your preference you, and you make an excellent case for sort of the paint stocks of the world, as it were, things that are just, you know, supplies that people need. Nothing, nothing whiz bang about it. No FTX out there, no no cryptos, just like, hey, here is a mom and pop stock that is going to perform and is going to be solid. So I guess this makes some sense from this standpoint, but I got to say, this is coming out of left field for me. Did not see this one coming. Here's the dirty little secret. I'm open for business, Dick Sporting Goods, because I am a huge freaking fan of your store. I refuse to go in there because every time you suck me in. I spent $179 in Dick's two days ago. Why? Because my daughter actually needed new basketball sneakers. Of course she did. But I couldn't help myself once I was inside the store. You do a great job. I enjoy this store. I've often thought that if I wanted a gig in retirement, I might manage one of these stores. I, I just 
this, this actually makes some sense. And here's the thing. I think everything that I just said kind of makes some sense for your award, because I think it reflects back that they have a business here that people like that I think provides a service that people want and uh, does it in, in, a, in a way that, that people connect to. Yes. And they've also done a phenomenal job under Hobart's leadership of um, making it really easy to shop there, whether it's in person, um, getting folks like you to make impulse purchases, but also their website, uh, their curbside pickup. Um, uh, it's an amazing business with a bright future. Wow. Well, all right. Um, once again, Lauren, uh, congratulations. If you're <laughs> listening, this show is open for your advertising because I will give, shoot, I did it. I just gave a plug for dicks and you're not even paying me. Well, you can send me a check. You can also invest in that coin, but we are out of time for this show for Chris Hill. I'm Matt Robinson. We'll see you next time.